Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center on this Friday. The turbulent tech trade is more selling ahead for that sector. And what does that mean for your money? We'll debate that today with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour, as always, John Najarian, Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Degas Wright is back, the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital Management. Let's go to the wall, see where stocks are currently trading, pacing for the first winning week in the past three. We are down across the board, except for the Russell, which is a fractional winner today. Still lots of questions swirling around tech. It's been volatile. Doc, the question is, does the turbulence in tech continue, do you think? And oh, by the way, value's been leading lately, and that's a story in and of itself. Yeah, well, uh, you know, a whole host of folks have said that that would happen eventually, Scott, you know, from Tom Lee to Larry McDonald and so forth. Um, I don't think the story's over for tech. And you and I talked about that Monday. And I said, I think that uh, we are unlikely to test significantly lower in tech. Um, And yet here Apple is back down on the lows of the last several months, Scott. So um, I've noticed a lot of those value plays that you discussed um, for instance, infrastructure plays in particular, steel, mining, things like that, um, getting a lot of money flow. I mean, a lot. Uh, so that's worth noting. And to your point, um, that's partially why perhaps people are using tech as a source of funds. I don't know how long that lasts. I certainly am not betting that it lasts very long as far as tech being a wreck and uh, value being where you want to be. But that's the way it is for the last several sessions. Yeah. Shan, um, month to date, materials up five and a half percent. Industrials have done better than technology. There's been materials, industrials, energy, some of the financials we've been talking about of late. And to John's point, if you look at big tech month to date, Apple down 16 percent, Amazon 40. I mean, the whole space is down double digits. Facebook 13, Microsoft 11, Alphabet 10. Jim Cramer last night saying it's time to put cash to work, uh, just not in tech. He said instead of tech, though, he recommends picking up some of the historically cheap stocks that are being being brought down by the entire averages. And he mentioned some of the industrials. Well, I think Jim makes a great point, not necessarily needing to rotate out of your technology names, which are good long term holds, especially the high quality ones, but really taking money from cash or perhaps from gold, perhaps from bonds those that have been allocated in a more conservative posture, this is a great time to be adding money into the market. We've seen it in flows. I don't think that the average person who's taking, especially on the institutional side, institutional investors are not taking cash and buying Tesla. What they're doing is they're taking cash and they're either putting it across the market or more likely they're putting it into these cyclical sectors in higher quality companies in those sectors that they think are poised for an economic rebound. 
The challenge is, is that it cannot remain limited to just a reallocation between tech and these cyclical sectors. Because what will happen is what we've seen, Scott, you see, start, you see this reallocation out of tech, the indexes get weak, people get concerned there's a more sustained correction at hand, and we go back on defense, which is back into tech. So we really do need to see money coming from other places besides within your domestic equity allocation in order to fuel a true value rotation. I don't know that we're there yet because there's still a lot on the horizon in the next four to six weeks from an economic perspective and obviously a political perspective to put people at to make people uneasy. But I think that's what we need to really have a true value rotation. Yeah. The other part of the story, Degas, as we witness a, another uh, well-talked-about IPO today, is money coming out of tech, but coming out of the biggest of tech so you can buy the snowflakes of the world and the other stocks that we're talking about today, including the one that, that just went public. Yes, yeah, Scott. So, you know, what we're seeing is that if we talk about new money coming into the market, you have to look at the business case for each of the um, mega cap stocks. So what we look at is valuation. So if new money was coming into the market. We will see buys at these levels at with Apple, uh, Facebook, and Microsoft. And those business cases still are will be resilient uh, going forward. If new money was coming in, we would probably avoid Alphabet, um, Amazon, and Netflix. So that's new money coming in. We, we hold all those names, and we are holding those names. So that's new money. Also, as, as Shannon brought out, that you could uh, rotate into some industrials. Okay. Uh, this week, we purchased uh, Illinois uh, Tool Works, industrial company, industrial products and equipment. So this is a time to be looking at business models and placing your money wisely. Yeah, you saw Unity right there. That's the IPO, of course, we're talking about. And UP, uh, that stock's getting a nice bump, 35% today uh, on its IPO. Steve Weiss, I, I want your opinion on this value versus growth uh, deal because you got a lot of notes out today talking about value. JP Morgan thinks value looks particularly attractive um, at this juncture because, number one, valuation dispersion is a screaming buy value at the present time. We may be seeing the start of a rotation towards value. I know we've heard that a thousand times. But the recent outperformance, they say, of growth uh, and quality over value broke down last month. Is, is this truly a turning point now? You know, I, I think, I don't know that it's a turning point, uh, but I do see this trend continuing in the short term. I've cut back in some tech exposure. As I mentioned over the last couple of weeks, I've added some non-tech exposure. But value is such, such an odd term. Do I consider um, Facebook to be a greater value growing at near 30% selling at a 30 PE as a greater value uh, proposition than Caterpillar, which is seeing a decline of 56% in earnings okay. and selling at a similar PE? Let me rephrase it so, then, okay? So, so let, me, let me rephrase it, right? Okay. Let me, let's, not, let's not talk growth sure. versus value. Let's say tech versus industrials, right? It, it just plays off the Kramer right. point of... of you know, now is the time perhaps to put some fresh money to work, but not in the areas of Facebook or Fang or mega cap growth, but in the Caterpillars, in the Dows, and in the 3Ms, which are going to have a benefit as the economy continues to recover and you get closer to a vaccine. And we sort of take a step back, pull the curtain back on some of these high-flying tech stocks and say maybe those are the ones that got ahead of themselves. It's time for money to go into these more depressed areas. Well, look, I think that that is the trend going forward for the next. I think it's a trade. I don't know if it's another week or if it's another two months. 
But that's where the momentum is. The market's been a momentum market for quite some time, not just this year. Last year, the year before, what works continues to work for a period of time. But if I look out a year, I don't want to own those industrial stocks because I think that the chips are stacked against them. The economy is not going to pull out when you snap your fingers. As a matter of fact, I think it's plateaued. So you get a vaccine, but you're basically making a typical early stage biotech bet by going there. And that's binary. So I do believe we'll get a vaccine. But what if we don't? Where's the greatest risk? The greatest risk is in the airlines. The greatest risk is in those industrial names that you well, mentioned. We don't get which, a vaccine. by the way, haven't been lending. Please. We don't, we don't get a vaccine. Yeah, the whole market the, the entire market is at risk. Right? I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But, but once you get through that, then you've got companies that are still going to grow. So, yeah. So the trend is there now. I just think if you look out over six months or a year, that you're better suited in growth than the industrial names. Now, I told you, I bought some. I turned my Dow calls into Dow equity. I, I bought Dover. I added to Dover. So, you know, I bought Kindred's, uh, Kindred's Gold uh, last night when they announced they're putting a dividend. So I do think you'll see inflation down the road at some point, and that's what you need. So you got to believe that the Fed, which most believe is largely out of tools, is going to be able to achieve that 2% plus inflation. Because without that, those names that you mentioned, Jim mentioned, aren't going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a fair amount of skepticism, obviously, as to whether the Fed can reach its inflation targets. That's, that's uh, undoubtedly the case, and the market would be telling you that. Um, our, our first guest today is taking some tech profits and buying value stocks. Sarah Dergurabedian is Parsec Financial's Director of Investment Management, joins us live. Sarah, nice to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Yep. So what, what does the move that you've made in the market say about where you believe the gains are going to be had in the months ahead? Well, I can tell you what we're doing with our clients' portfolios and what we're seeing with our clients. And that is that, um, you know, we have these overweights and obviously some of the tech positions, as you've seen that large run up over the last six months. So we're going to be taking some of the profits from those overweight names and not selling out of them altogether, but just right-sizing those positions. And then we're going to be reinvesting those proceeds into some of the more beaten down and, uh, you know, undervalued areas of the market. So, you know, that could be um, like uh, de developed in emerging markets or international. You know, we see good valuations there compared to U.S. But then among U.S., we could be seeing uh, proceeds going into the financial sector, which, um, you know, has been beaten down year to date. Yeah, that's and, for sure. uh, I think, yeah, I know. I mean, I think there's a couple of things, though, going on there um, in the financial sector. And you've got the credit quality situation where, you know, banks have been aggressively provisioning uh, their for their loan losses. And if we see that defaults are better than expected, they could be uh, releasing some of those funds into earnings. And that could provide a slight tailwind for some of those. But then, you know, we have the flat yield curve going out for a couple of years, probably. And, you know, that's going to compress those net interest margins. So it's a bit of a mixed story for financials. But I think you can find some uh, good, high quality, uh, financially strong companies in that sector that will have sustainable dividend yields, despite, you know, the Fed's putting a cap on uh, dividends and share buybacks. Yeah. I think they would be likely to stop their share buybacks first and, you know, try to hold on to their dividend. And I think that some of the stronger ones probably can do that. I mean, to, to be clear, you're not getting off the tech train, you know, so to no. speak. Uh, you're just lightening up a little bit and looking at some other more depressed areas where you can see some opportunity. 
That's right. I mean, it's basically, um, you know, just the way that we rebalance our portfolios. It's our discipline that we uh, stick with at all times. So, uh, yeah, we still like a lot of tech names and we're not getting out of them altogether, but we just got to make sure that we rebalance those and we diversify. We sure. want to remain diversified, you know, and we want to make sure that our client's asset allocation, that strategic allocation between equity and fixed remains at that um where they need to be. You know, we did a big rebalance back in March, right, when the market dipped. And so we put that from fixed to equities. We caught that upswing, which has been really great for our clients. Now we're seeing that they're all a little bit overweight, so we're going to be trimming away. And obviously that, you know, is going to be largely from some tech names. Yeah. Did, did this week give you pause in any way, shape or form with the Snowflake IPO? I'm just, I'm just wondering how you view the current landscape. Um, you know, the way it's viewed today could be different than the way it was viewed just a week ago, given what Snowflake brought to market and how it was received. Right. I mean, I think it is a rapidly changing situation that we've got. And we're going to see this kind of volatility, I think, in the near term. And, uh, you know, all you got to do there is you just got to be prepared. You got to you got to remember who you are as an investor. You know, you don't want to get whipsawed by what's going on in the market. You just got to remember that, um, you know, if you're a long-term investor, you're looking out years and years, you know. So, you know, I don't get concerned about the the recent situations, near-term volatility. You know, I try not to worry about those things. I just do the things that you can control, which is, you know, make changes at the margin of your portfolio. Make sure that you're where you need to be, you know. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, but if that if that's the case, though, um, why are we to believe that this value trend of late can really be long lasting if the longest term trends in the economy are mostly geared towards technology? Well, you know, I think that there is something to be said for that momentum continuing. As you know, trends are going to research has shown that a trend can persist a lot longer than you think it, it should or will. Um, but. Uh, I know, you know, historically speaking, when we're talking about value and growth, if you look at Russell 1000 growth index and, um, you know, the way it has outperformed the value index since 2008, um, if you go back to maybe around 2000 with the dot-com bubble, you saw how there was a sharp uptick in growth leading up to 2000, and then it was followed by value outperformance for the next eight years. So right now we've seen that sharp uptick in growth over value. Uh, just recently. So, you know, I don't know if this signals some sort of overarching rotation into value. We hope so. Um, you know, we like to position our portfolios with a little bit of a value tilt. So we've been, you know, pulling for that yeah. for quite some time. You, know. <laughs> you, you and a lot of other people. Uh, I appreciate you being uh, on our show. It's nice to add a new face uh, to the gang. Sarah DeGarabedian, we'll talk to you soon. Parsec Financial, the Director of Investment Management. Um, all right, guys. So what do we make of that? Time to trim some tech. Maybe put it into the financials, Steve Weiss. Also, by the way, Barclays today has gone so far as to downgrade the FANG stocks. They say a rally in these stocks driven by retail investors has led to lofty valuations. It's increased the downside risk for those kinds of stocks. So they downweight the sector to market weight. I mean, it's, it's not a popular call. Even people who are, who are say, you know, pulling back a little bit on FANG, Steve, are, well, we're going from strong overweight to overweight. This is to a little bit further down the, the, the line. Yeah, and, and I don't usually talk about what, I, what I'm going to do, but uh, Joe Terranova and I were texting early in the week, and I was a hair away from selling Google. 
uh, alphabet. Uh, it's tired. I've got a lot of exposure. It's actually not been the best performer over the last few years, period. Uh, I take a look at the people that have come in on our show, value investors that have found reasons to buy Amazon and Google and Facebook, and now they're finally seeing light at the end of the tunnel, and they're going into the Honeywells. They're going into the ones that we've mentioned. So I do think it continues. And look, what we haven't talked about is the political landscape, and you have to be conscious of what may change. And I don't think any of it's going to be good for the banks, frankly. So I would not include banks in that because there's a fundamental change to their business. There's loan loss reserves that have to increase. There's assaults in their business that we're seeing by these direct IPOs, these SPACs, even reduced fees on Snowflake and others. Right. So I think you have to parse out. I hear you. I so, mean, you're, le you're, less so, than, uh, you're less than 50 yeah. days from the election, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Right. And nobody knows, really, what, what's priced in and what's not yeah. and how far down the the election night uh, road uh, is really priced in, the Senate changing hands and, and, and things like that. Th that's what makes it even more difficult, why you could have a little more volatility uh, over the next, you know, 45 days or, or so. You know, Degas, as you own Facebook and Amazon, Alphabet and Microsoft, and you do have this call from Barclays today, um, it's not the consensus. I mean, let's be clear. Belsky, uh, Brian Belsky over at BMO says there's just way, way too much tech bearishness. We remain overweight, he says, uh, on IT. Sort of seen this movie before, and it's going to have a rebound. Uh, don't get thrown by what you've witnessed lately in the market. Is that the right perspective to have? Yeah, I agree with that. And once again, uh, we're holding those companies. As I mentioned, there are some uh, companies that are, are below fair value in, in our estimation, but uh, we're holders to, in, in this spot, spot because uh, we don't feel that the business case for tech has changed. Yeah. Well, you're a buyer too, though, right? I mean, you bought exactly. Oracle, so you're still right. looking and at you're still looking at relatively big tech. Well, you know, interestingly enough, Oracle has not done as well as the other uh, big tech. And so when we looked at it, we saw that it was great profitability as it was measured by operating cash flow to net income stability. It had really good expectations going forward, good outlook, and then also valuation. Um, as we look at the, the free cash flow to uh, enterprise value, we saw that it was actually below fair value at, at these levels. And so, and this is this is outside of the uh, TikTok discussion. Uh, and so we said that this is a buy at this level, and uh, we uh, got you know purchased some shares earlier in the week. Yeah. Yeah, talk about the TikTok situation. I mean, no one really knows how, how that's going to shape up at the end of the day. In terms, Shan, of, of the broader market, UBS, they say they see the S&P 500 trading at 3,700 by the middle of next year. So you've had, I don't know, three to four different firms come out in the last, you know, whether it's days or the last few weeks and say 3,600 on the S&P for this year. I'm not sure, you know, what you think about that call. You know, we're at 3,334 right now with a potentially volatile road ahead between now and certainly November. But then even looking beyond that, um, really, and then in the, in the context of a week in which you had a, a senior executive of Blackstone come out this week on CNBC uh, overseas, on, on one of our uh, enterprises over, overseas, and suggest that you're going to have a lost decade for stocks over the next 10 years. 
Well, I, I think it's it's it, I think there's wild differences in expectations. Um, I think the consensus expectations for this year are a bit lower than those that you just cited as far as you're right. There's going to be some choppiness. And usually we have a post-election bump, but I think a lot of that's been pulled forward. So um, I, I think looking to next year, the catalyst for, you know, stocks to continue to appreciate next year is certainly the vaccine as you as you relate, but also evidence that this significant amount of monetary and fiscal stimulus can actually produce reaccelerating growth. And so the the part about whether it's material stocks, as as John talked about early at the top of the show, doing well, um, there's a big bid in for infrastructure for a large scale spending package. I actually think you get that you know, on either side of the aisle in 2021. I think that the U.S. government is going to have to be focused on getting people back to work and, and in some new growing industries. And so for me, if you look at those catalysts, you know, you just you need this broadening out and you need there to be true economic growth as it relates to financials. Uh, I think that the challenge with financials is that everybody's talking about this sort of lost or changed environment for financials. And I think it's the opposite of the technology argument. If technology is a part of our day-to-day lives in, in every single possible way at this point, why wouldn't you just own technology? So I think that there needs to be a broadening out of the lens um, to understand that the economy has a lot of different ways that you can make money in stocks and that companies have a lot of different levers that they can pull. And just it's going to go back to valuation. And it's going to go back to where you think you can get outsized above index performance, and those are going to be in the areas that haven't performed. So that's my view on, on going into next year. I think the rest of this year is going to be pretty bumpy. Yeah, our next guest, though, says it is no surprise that the market has rallied despite the challenges that do still exist in the economy. Dan Greenhouse is chief economist and strategist with Solus Alternative Asset Management. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Thank you, sir. So I, I'm not sure that, you know, the debate is is whether, you know, the market uh, shouldn't be up relative to where the economy is, but maybe it's the way that the market has gone up and specifically certain parts of the market vis-a-vis tech. Sure. And I think obviously we can always quibble about those things, but I, I mean, do you, dis- do you disagree with that? Listen, I, should tech be a little lower than it is? Maybe. But but I think that the, the narrative that I take issue with is just this idea that the markets as a whole are somehow disconnected from economic reality. And we know what tech has done. We know Apple, Facebook, Google, and the like are generating net income and EBITDA and free cash flow well beyond what the rest of the market's doing, thus justifying a premium valuation. But this conversation ignores the fact that the economy is doing pretty well relative to what people thought was going to be the case. You're going to have GDP growth of 25 30% in the, in the third quarter. The ISM is back at 56. The New Orders Index, which is an important leading indicator, is almost at 70. Um, This is all suggestive of strong economic growth. And and also, I would add that while all the focus is on tech, obviously, these are very large companies. They're important companies that we all deal with every day. So there's a level of familiarity. The fact of the matter is there's absolutely differentiation beneath the headline. Steve Weiss mentioned the airlines earlier. They're down. The department stores, the office suites. Uh, the, the, the parts of the economy that are doing very poorly are seeing the stocks do very poorly. And that's entirely what you should expect. But at the same time, you have stocks like Nike and the capital market stocks like BlackRock and S&P. Um, they're all doing exceeding well, exceedingly well. The P&G and Colgate and, and, and uh, Clorox. There's a whole host of companies right, but that the are doing only, very well. Because- but let's be clear, though, Dan. I mean, the, the, the only re- the, the economy is not 
is not doing great, right? The I didn't only say it was doing great, but that's fair. The only reason that the stock market is where it is relative to the strength of the economy is because it's so pumped up on Fed-induced steroids. Uh, well, okay. So I don't, I don't dismiss that the Federal Reserve and the fiscal authorities, remember we passed several trillion dollars worth of stimulus bills, and that obviously has a, a multiplier effect throughout the economy, which is a much larger conversation. But let's also not pretend that this isn't what always happens. And let's use 2009 as an example. Um, the stock market ended 2009 something like 65% off its low and the entire time the stock market was going up, the unemployment rate was going up as well. It ended the year somewhere around 10%. Um, th 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 you see this repeatedly, the coming out of a recession, stocks do much better than the economy would suggest. 1982 is another perfect example, the start of the great bull market in the 80s and 90s. Um, the, the stock market bottomed in the summer. The recession didn't end until the end of the year. And the stock market was already at a new high. And then, like 2009, the unemployment rate was up, going up the entire time. Now, to be clear, I don't doubt and I don't dismiss the fact that the Federal Reserve has done a whole lot to shore up the stock market and the credit markets. That is unquestionably true. But at the same time, I don't think we should ignore the fact that relative to what people thought would be the case just a few weeks, if not even months ago, uh, the, the economy and earnings are doing much, much better. OK, that's fair. I, I, I'll give you that. Uh, I think I think that's a fair assessment. But when you when you look at tech, for example, OK, and you see IPOs like Snowflake, what happened this week, and you see these other stocks with very large valuations, very big price to sales numbers um, and huge gains in the market. Does that give you any pause whatsoever? Do you see signs of 1999 and a bubblicious environment in certain areas? I'm not talking about Apple and Facebook and Netflix and Microsoft and those. I'm talking about some of the other stocks that are out there. And should we as investors take a little bit of pause as we view that? Yeah, listen, I think it's always prudent to pause and, and observe things like what's going on, as you mentioned, with, with Snowflake and, and several other IPOs more generally. Um, you can also point to what's going on in the SPAC market, as uh, some people would point to what's going on in the SPAC market as, as additional evidence that there's uh, widespread exuberance. But listen, there's no doubt that tech and the market are trading at levels that we haven't really seen since 2000. And so obviously you're going to get a comparison. But it's also important for those of us that lived through, at least for me, the tail end of the 1990s, to, to be clear about the level of overvaluation that you see now might be more widespread, but it is not nearly at its core as excessive as what you saw then. Uh, price to forward earnings, price to sales, price to free cash flow um, on, on, a, on a generalized basis, all much, much lower than what you saw in 2000. Um, you, we could also use the, the Nifty 50 from the 1970s as an example. We're talking about, forget Snowflake, which as in the scheme of the market is obviously relatively insignificant, but for the larger names that we're talking about, 20 and 30 times earnings. In the 1970s, I had to go and check because who remembers this? Polaroid was trading at 90, 90 times earnings. And right. um, McDonald's was trading at 90 times earnings. We're nowhere near the level of overvaluation so, that you've seen then. And so quickly, in 30 seconds or, or less, to distill everything down, it, it sounds like you're a bull on the market right now. Well, listen, I mean, the bias is certainly to the upside. You've got enormous tailwinds, again, from the economy and the market. You have the fiscal authorities in, in, your, in your corner. You've got the Federal Reserve 
in your favor. That's not to say that there aren't some technical issues. I think there's a short-term reason why the market should go down. And obviously, you've got the election and taxes to deal with thereafter. But if the economy is going to do well and earnings are going to do well, then the stock market is going to do well. All right. It's good to see you again. We'll see you again soon. That's Dan Greenhouse with Solus joining us today. Home improvements have surged during the pandemic, pushing up both Home Depot and Lowe's. What about the run for those stocks? Is it over? We'll debate that next in our call of the day. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the app and CNBC app. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Early voting began in Minnesota today, where voters lined up to cast their ballots ahead of campaign trips to that state by both President Donald Trump and his Democratic rival Joe Biden. Some 44 people cast ballots in just the first 30 minutes. That's Minneapolis's lone polling center was open. Early voting also began in Virginia, South Dakota and Wyoming today. CVS is doubling the number of drive-through coronavirus testing sites at its pharmacy locations across the country to 4,000. The company said its new locations will be operating by mid-October, offering self-swab tests by appointment only and at no cost to the patient. The virus is surging in Europe. Emergency tents have been installed as a precaution at the gates of a Madrid military hospital as the Spanish capital struggles to contain a second wave of coronavirus cases. The Madrid region has a virus transmission rate six times higher than the national average, and authorities are set to announce measures today to try and slow its spread. We'll keep you up to date on that story because it's still developing. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. Sue Herrera, all right. Well, traders are making moves. John, you're buying ArcelorMittal calls. Tell us. Yes, sir. Well, Scott, over the past, like I say, uh, four or five days, we've seen a lot of money flow into infrastructure plays like Mittal. Um, obviously, steelmaker, biggest steelmaker in the world. Stock has not exploded yet, but uh, we think it's almost like a coiled spring here, Scott, because of uh, a big upgrade yesterday, as well as all these upside call buys with the stock, you know, down here uh, at 13 bucks and things. They're buying the 16 on higher calls. So I figured it was a good time to add to a position I already had. And I added to that this week. OK, appreciate that. Why is you sold Micron? Why? Micron has become a trading stock. And while I love the management, I think they're phenomenal. And they're only a couple of players in memory. It's in a trading range, so I made about 10% on it in a week. That's enough. I'll revisit it when it gets down to the low 40s or 45. Uh, the other stock I sold, was, or the other ETF that I sold, was XBI, the biotech ETF, which I've been in for quite some time. And to your point earlier, I want to take some of the growth out of the portfolio. I added to Moderna. I thought they had a phenomenal R&D day yesterday. They came out with their vaccine uh, schedule they're manufacturing today so they continue to have that confidence but it's not about COVID it's about the 23 drugs vaccines in their portfolio that I think could make this one of the biggest biotech stocks trading in any exchange around the world 
And then Kindra's Gold, which I mentioned earlier, not only do they put a dividend in, which allows some institutions to buy it that couldn't buy it before, in their planning to keep gold prices at a very conservative level while increasing their production forecast for gold by 20%. So I like that. My exposure to gold, I haven't been gold for a long time. I think gold continues to move higher. Okay. All right. Now we're going to have a debate, right? Because you got a double call today. Home Depot and Lowe's, both downgraded to perform. Both were at outperform. This comes from uh, Opco today. Both stocks have done well. Home Depot's up 27.5% year to date. Lowe's a little bit better at up 36. The reason why we're going to have a debate is because Shannon, you and Degas own Home Depot. Weiss, you own Lowe's. John, you previously owned, owned Lowe's. Shan, you get the first. Yes, sir. Uh, you, you get the, the mic first. Home Depot. What do you think of this call? Great. <laughs> um, I, I think this is, is probably a pretty good short-term call, to be honest. Uh, we, sold the, we actually trimmed the stock back in May a little bit early. Um, but I think if you read the notes here and read between the lines, they're basically saying once we start to see this rotation away from your COVID-19 uh, beneficiary basket, of which both Home Depot and Lowe's are in that basket, you know, you'll start to see a bit of weakness in these stocks. I think from a longer term perspective, these are still great buys. Uh, from a um, e-commerce perspective, they're, you know, they're, they, it, Home Depot has already put some money into their e-commerce distribution, but they also have a reason to go to the store. I don't like big box retail. I don't like specialty retail all that much, uh, but I think this is probably a good short-term call. You should use weakness. If this comes to fruition and there's weakness in these two stocks, you should use that as an opportunity to buy them because this is a longer-term trend that isn't going away. Okay. Weiss, you have a counterpoint? Uh, not really. I was actually shocked to see an analyst downgrading a stock rather than finding some reason or no reason to raise their price target by 20%. So, look, that's it's the one way that it's been shaved, lately. I, I hear some you. Others. I'm sorry. I, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. the way, that's the way it's been. But seriously, that, I mean, you, you, prefer Lowe's over, you prefer Lowe's over Home Depot. Why? Well, at, at the time I bought Lowe's, it had trailed Home Depot. And if you look over a long-term chart, even though Home Depot has been vastly better managed until a new manager came in, Marvin Ellison, uh, they pretty much traded in lockstep. So when I bought it, I was looking at both. Either would have been fine. I thought the street was way more bullish and way more owning uh, Home Depot. So that's why I bought Lowe's. I don't think it matters which one you buy. I agree with Shannon's view. I think over the next few weeks, we could see some weakness there. But I'm ready to stay with her. I'm not willing to give up the gains and pay taxes on the entire position. Yeah, I hear you. Degas, I stacked the deck. Uh, you own Home Depot, too, and I'm giving you the last word. Well, no, uh, Scott, I appreciate that. And I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, I feel that there's definitely a separation between Wall Street and Main Street. I just have to say that because I have too many small business owners out there that may be throwing some shoes at the t uh, at the TV now. So there is definitely a separation between the two. Yeah. As we it relates to Home Depot, we really like it. I'm going to talk about the uh, intangible. Home Depot is going to invest over $500 million for housing for veterans by 2025. That is building the brand value. And so Home Depot, I like it from a profitability from a valuation, we actually see it as actually under fair value at this at these levels. So it's definitely a hold in our portfolio, and we're we're definitely like it as opposed to lows. All right, good stuff. Coming up, we have John's unusual activity ahead of the weekend. Let's give you a check on the S and P sectors before we head to break. There you go. Financials, healthcare are in the green. Stocks have taken a turn for the worst.
S&P's down 32, almost 1%. We're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. All right, Doc. Options, unusual activity. What do you have for us? Well, Scott, I've got one of Warren Buffett's favorite stocks. He doesn't just own it. He uh, participates uh, or enjoys their product on a daily basis. That is Coca-Cola, K-O, with the stock just below 51, let's say $50.80, Scott. They were buying the 51 calls. These calls expire the 23rd of October, not regular expiration, a week after that, Scott. They were paying about $1.41 for these calls. They were taking some profits in September, rolling out to October. I like following that. So I bought these, and I'll probably be in them three to four weeks. Second trade, infrastructure, just like we talked about. Vale, V-A-L-E. This one, even though Jim Cramer last night couldn't give him a thumbs up, he was kind of neutral on it. (laughs) We see 58,000 calls changing hands on this one, Scott. Big, big buying of this one. These are regular October uh, calls, the 13 calls uh, and the 14 calls, both of them purchased over 55,000 of each of those. I own the 13s um, and I'm looking for more upside, Scott, over the next couple weeks. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, John. All right, our experts are ready to answer your questions Thank next. You. Ask Halftime's coming up. Go to CNBC.com slash Halftime. You can tweet us as well. We're back after this quick break. All right, let's answer your questions now. John Najarian coming to you first from Pam in California. Looking at home builder companies, any thoughts on DR Horton? Love DR Horton. Um, I would definitely go that way, Scott, or Lennar over Toll Brothers. Love this sector in particular because of the interest rates and demand for some of these homes for people leaving cities and, and moving out towards the burbs again. Nice run. 38% year to date. Steve Weiss, Anthony in Arizona wants to know about Zillow. What do you think about Zillow? Speaking of housing. So I, I own Zillow uh, and the stock's done great. I think it'll continue to work well. And this is another reason why I'm in Lowe's. 
John's right. I mean, there is no inventory in the housing market in, in the suburbs around New York and other areas of the country. I know because I look every day. So they're advertising, you know, business continue to grow. You have to go in their site repeatedly to get new names there. I think it's going to continue to work. Ignore valuation. All right. All right. Your turn, Shan, uh, from Sharon in San Diego. Is now a good entry point for Anthem or United Health? Or both. <laughs> um, Anthem and United Health, both great firms. I would say with, UN, uh, with UNH, you're getting an already vertically, vertically integrated uh, leader in the uh, insurance space, so the managed care space. So if you want something that's a little bit steadier, um, perhaps a little less upside, then go with UNH. Anthem, they're still going through that process, so there's an execution risk there. But you know, by being able to uh, create greater efficiencies through their pharmacy benefit manager, you're going to potentially have greater upside in that particular stock. All right. Lastly, Degas, Bennett in California, better 12-month upside. Starbucks or McDonald's? Yeah, both good companies. We hold McDonald's. And the reason we hold McDonald's over Starbucks is that long-term, we're seeing uh, greater profitability. Uh, we're seeing the uh, free cash flow ca uh, to uh, return on capital doing much better. Long term, we like McDonald's. All right. Coming up, the Nasdaq's on track to break two-week losing streak. The key levels traders are watching. We'll talk to them next. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. We're back on the Halftime Report. Time for Futures Outlook. NASDAQ session lows right now down for a third straight day. And traders are looking for some key levels that could signal a pullback is coming. Scott Nations and Brian Stutland are your traders today. Scott, tell us what you're watching. Most importantly, it is the question of the day. Where's the NASDAQ going? Yeah, it's a tough time for the NASDAQ. Tough day, down 2%. The important levels were uh, 10, 9, 25, and then 10, 900 were below those. It's interesting, Scott, that just below, just after we got below 10,900, it was lookout below. You know, there's really nothing technically below this level until you get to 10,500. And you can see there the triple bottom that we had last week or earlier this week, 10,925. So there's really nothing below here until about 10,500. But, Scott, this is a break to be bought. Listen, consumer confidence is good. The Fed, they're no longer lower for longer. They're now, it seems, lower forever. So it's going to be pretty ugly for the rest of the day and potentially the first couple of days of next week. But again, this is a break to be bought eventually. Yeah, December futures are kind of ugly on NASDAQ. And by the way, Brian, I'm looking right now. I mean, Apple's down more than 3%. Our Carl Quintanilla was saying it's firmly below its 50-day now for the first time since April 22nd. Yeah, when you look at charts like Apple, let's remember the NASDAQ 100, a third of that index is Apple, Microsoft, and, and Amazon. So when you look at those and those charts start breaking down, to Scott's point, we're going to get some technical sell-offs. When you have Apple selling off and seems like it's breaking down over the last month, Amazon even harder to the downside recently, and, and things like Microsoft as well, that's going to drive the index lower. So you've got to be careful there. I think fundamentally, though, to Scott's point, longer-term outlook view on this, when you have interest rates at 1%, these three top companies are so cash flow positive that they can utilize borrowing at 1%. 
and grow their business, whether they're acquiring more customers, whether they're buying back stock or, or reinventing new research and development on that side, they'll be able to do all those. And I think longer term, they'll grow into these high PEs that we're starting to see in a lot of these NASDAQ names. I think a lot of these top NASDAQ names will utilize this low interest rate environment to their benefit, mm -hmm. and that will continue to swing back to the other upside. Temporarily right now, technically, like Scott's point, doesn't look so great over the next couple of weeks. But longer term, I like owning the NASDAQ 100. I just own it with VIX futures um, as I own the NASDAQ futures as well right now. All right, guys, good stuff. Uh, thank you both. Uh, I've got some uh, breaking news I have to get to. Dear Jabosa, what do you have for us on WeChat? Hey, Scott, WeChat parent Tencent has responded to the Commerce Department's decision outlined this morning to ban the app here in the United States. The company says that they're reviewing the decision. And they also say that the restrictions announced today are unfortunate, but given our desire to provide ongoing services to our users in the U.S., for whom WeChat is an important communication tool, we will continue to discuss with the government and other stakeholders in the U.S. ways to achieve a long-term solution. Uh, remember as well, Scott, though, that Eamon brought us uh, some comments from a senior administration official saying that WeChat is dead in the U.S., so there's no chance of a savior in the form of an Oracle or Walmart. Um, so there's little chance, little that Tencent can do right now. But this also underplays its importance in the United States as well, says that it's used for messaging. It's actually used for a lot more than that. But when you look at this multi, multi-billion, hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap company, the U.S. represents a very small amount. Yeah. Back over to you. All right, D. thank you. Dee Bosa with the latest there. Final trades are straight ahead. Welcome back. We want to take a moment now to mark the loss of a truly remarkable human being. Dr. John Najarian passed away at the end of last month at the age of 92. He was way more than just John and Pete's beloved dad. Dr. Najarian was a pioneer in the field of organ transplants, often performing surgeries deemed so risky others would not operate. The tough cases, as one fellow surgeon told The New York Times in his obituary, from a kidney transplant for a six-week-old boy to a new liver in one of the oldest patients ever to have such a procedure, he was a revered surgeon and visionary. Dr. Najarian was born in 1927 in Oakland, California. He is survived by three of his sons, 12 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. Doc, a truly remarkable and well-lived life. Our thoughts are obviously with you and Pete and your extended family. I knew he was a legend, John. Uh, but learned so much by reading that amazing piece today. Oh, and he enjoyed watching you, Scott, and uh, watching us on CNBC. But you're right. He, he was a legend, and we can only hope to live up to uh, some of the uh, things that our father was able to do for people all over the world. So thank you, Scott. Yeah, even, even working and performing some transplants later into his life, too. Just, uh, just couldn't give up the amazing work. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's take a quick look at earnings for next week. Try and get you ahead of that. Uh, Nike and Costco certainly standing out to us. Shan, Costco, you own it. What do you expect? I expect a good report out of Costco. The things that 
folks are going to be looking at. There's been um, some pretty tough comps over the last couple of um, to beat over the past couple of quarters, um, but we're looking for continued subscriber growth, you know, in terms of that cash annuity that people own Costco for. Um, and just to get a sense for them on, on um, some of the supply chain issues that were faced early on in the pandemic to see if those are easing. Okay. All right, Mr. Lulu, Steve Weiss, the man who talks about this stock often, right? So Nike's next week. Yep. You got Lulu, and the reason I bring it up is because the thing has been a lemon. It's down 20% over the past month or so. What's going on? <laughs> it sure has. I've got less Lulu now than I had, um, but that's because price come down. Look, I think Nike's going to be fine. Uh, Lulu put up a great quarter, but they were sort of squishy in the guidance. I can't find any reason why the stock's down. I don't think Nike will have the same move, and I expect a very solid quarter from them because it hasn't gone up as much. Lulu's been like an Amazon. Yep. Crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Degas, you want to start us off with final trades? Final trades, yes. Uh, Illinois Tool Works. Uh, the uh, mm -hmm. industrial products and equipment we talked about earlier at the infrastructure play. This is part of the infrastructure play. Also, they have governance and leadership. They have one of the most diverse boards. And I know we were talking about the board challenge. Right. So they're meeting those expectations. Okay. Quickly, Shannon, from you. Accenture reports next week looking for continued growth in their cloud-first uh, initiative. Weiss, quick. XPO Logistics right. left behind today. Doc, got a name for me? Yes. Walmart. Bought it during the show, Scott. All right, great stuff. Good weekend, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.